we made this. And welcome back to We Played This, the show where I grill a guest about their greatest gaming experiences. Um, I'm your host, Tim Henton. Hello. And I've got a lovely guest with me today. He's the host of the music show Pick a Disc on the We Made This Network. Little known fact about him, his favourite song ever is Goodbye Sky Harbour by Jimmy Eat World. It's Matt Latham. Hi, Matt. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm good, thank you. (laughs) I was expecting some kind of retort from the Goodbye Sky Harbour fact. It's completely and 100% true. I mean, I <laughs> I wouldn't expect you to be uh, to delve into, like, fake news about your guests, Tim. I mean, <laughs> I'd expect that from a lower calibre of host, to be honest, and that's what I never expect from you. <laughs> Legitimacy from me all the way. Yes. Um, so, uh, we're recording again in the old lockdown how's that going for you at the moment you all right yeah i mean as as all right as things can be these days yeah it's it's okay i mean it's the um i'm i'm, I'm quite a home body anyway and i live on so i'm quite on my own quite a bit so it's not been it's not been too bad i mean it's occasion it's the occasions when i suddenly realize that it's not going to be as easy to pop out pop to being q yeah, when I'm now just running out of polyfiller, and which it's it's gotten better now. It's gotten better now. I think being used figured out how it's supposed to do, but it's just when uh-huh. you, it's it's just when you remember certain conveniences have gone, and yeah, so, yeah. As much as I really don't want to, I've ended up relying far too heavily on Amazon whilst I've been in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think yeah, I think things are slowly getting to some kind of normal. Well. A new normal. Uh, yes, a new <laughs> sense of normality, so to speak. So, I mean, um, today was the first time that I saw my parents in God knows how long. So, but um, a, a social, a, a, a distance, I pretty much stayed at the top. Oh, yes, of, yes, of course. <laughs> I stayed at the top of my drive whilst I was um, pretty much picking up stuff that, of mine that was still at home. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I had a, a letter to post for work today, and as I went past the, on my way to the post, box um my partner kirsty's uh stepdad was um he he works for green thumb which is a lawn care company he was literally in someone's garden working as i went past <laughs> which is a bit weird because obviously it's so weird that he can be out doing that but he can't like come round and see us or anything like that i know he doesn't even he doesn't even know that i saw him because i was gonna he was talking to the owner of the house and i was gonna catch him on my way back and then by the time i came back he'd already left so yeah i mean like i mean Technically, I've, I've booked a carpet fitter to come to my house, but what I might do, I might try and arrange so a friend of mine does the fitting. But at it <laughs> saying that, perhaps not because it, I do want it fitted well. No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, considering uh, we're all in lockdown and there's, as we say, there's things that you can and can't do. One thing that you can still do very easily from home is play video games. Yes. 
So what an apt topic of uh, discussion today. So yeah, um, for those of you that haven't listened before, since we're quite new, what I do is I have four big questions that I ask every single guest about their experiences of video games. And then every guest that comes on also gets a massive list of other questions that are a bit more in-depth, let's say, and they get to pick two other questions for me to ask them. So we'll start with the big four as we always do. So the first question, Matt, is where did your journey into video games begin? It was probably due to the fact that many, many years ago, um, there was the club, which was basically like, I think it was a British Legion um, bar, I think, that my granddad was was like on the committee of. I think my dad was a member as well. And occasionally, it was like about a five-minute walk from our house. And occasionally in the evenings, he'd go go down and there was like a games room. And there was like these arcade machines. And like, you'd be pestering your parents to for money to play them. And I can't remember how I, I must have been quite young at the time. Um, but yeah, I was pestering to play them. And then I think the Christmas when I was, I want to say the four or five, um, I got a Commodore 64. Oh, nice. Which was my first kind of home, well, not console, but a home computer. Yeah. <laughs> and pretty much got obsessed with playing it. So... I I really love the way all of the sort of British computers, in inverted commas, from the time. I mean, because of the kind of lack of processing power and stuff basically they were just games machines but we call them computers <laughs> well, i think well because like, the 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 operating system of the c64 you, you come up with the command line anyway and it was and i think it was basic and you could actually yeah. program basic and i do ha- and i my dad used to go and get commodore format magazine from uh, he had it ordered from like a news agent near to where my granddad was and like they always have like cassettes with demos and full games on uh as like yeah demo discs or demo tapes actually and yeah they, they there, was, there was there was parts where they would actually have these long blocks of code which you could type in and like you could spend like about an hour copying about 40 lines of code in basic and it would try to make a sound of a baby crying and i never <laughs> got it to work but uh <laughs> You're actually the second guest, or I mean, you're, we're only on episode three, but you're the second guest who uh, first experiences were with a British home computer because um, Mark Adams had a Specky back in the day, the ZX Spectrum. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm surprised because it's not a an area that I have any expertise in at all because I, I was too young for the, that kind of era. Um, going back to your um, your time in the in the club... With uh, the arcade machines, do you remember what um, cabinets were there? Not off the top of my head, and but I do have a vivid memory of what a certain game was like, and I have till this day, I've been trying so hard to try and find out what game it was from what right. information I've got, and I've and I've tried message forums, I've go Google, I've gone through like arcade websites try, like trying to get trying to break down what it is and the only yeah the, i can't remember the name of it but i'm pretty sure there was a game like a, a platformer slash shooter where you played a man uh who was like dressed in white but he had a helmet that rotated and you shoot lasers from it 
and there was like a game map of of a world map that you saw, and like it would show you your progress throughout the game. And like the first levels were like these broken bits of roads, and there was a boss that was like a gold a golden statue, which in my head is very similar to the Buddha statue, but and right. who had whose head detached and floated around. And I'm pretty sure that the title screen was Statue of Liberty, and you was going towards it, and that's all I remember. Right. But I can't remember. Well, it doesn't ring a bell at all. Um, but obviously, you know, maybe maybe saying it out loud on this podcast, someone will actually be able to hear it and understand what you're on about. I hope so, because like I want to be able to get the the ROM and then and then play it and then have my memories of it be completely shattered when it come, turns out to be an unplayable mess. But uh, yeah. it's really awkward, isn't it? When there's there's those memories that you have, but that you there's no way of searching for that specific thing is it drives you mad doesn't it the, yeah i mean it's yeah there's again slight tangent but um rob ron gilbert who created um maniac mansion the lucas arts um yeah. he came out a few years ago with a game called Thum- the thimbleweed park oh yes yeah i've not played it but i i know of it yeah and he said that Thimbleweed Park isn't a straight adaption of the engine that of the scum engine that used to generate Maniac Mansion. He he described he used the term he that he wants you, he wants the game to play as your memory of playing Maniac Mansion. And I remember yeah. and when I played the original versions of Maniac Mansion online, it, it's so bloody hard to play. Whereas like you play Thimbleweed Park and it, the UI is very similar, but there are so many different things about it that makes it a much more appreciative. Um, playable experience that wasn't back then, and that that kind of turn of phrase has always stuck with me. Whereas, like, yeah, where like the memory of playing things, um, kind of is better. It's like when you, it's like when you try and, when you play, go and play Sonic One, and then you, yeah, and <laughs> and then you try and do the spin dash attack, and yeah, the spin dash attack, was, absolutely, and the spin dash attack was in Sonic Two, and you're like, what the bloody yeah. hell? And I and Games like when um just years ago when my friends um I think they played GTA San Andreas um yeah I, I had Vice City was well I had the two D ones first I missed GTA three I played Vice City and then GTA San Andreas and my uh and my friend and his girlfriend at the time was like playing like San Andreas and he goes um oh I think I might go and get Vice City and I went, don't get Vice City because why not because <laughs> it's a brilliant game but if you've if you've played GTA San Andreas. Yeah. You will you will get very frustrated with Vice City. Well the City. example the example that comes to mind for me is um Goldeneye as well, because that always felt so frantic and fun, but when you go back and play that now, it's just so sluggish and the control system obviously playing a first person shooter on the N sixty four which only has one uh analogue stick, it's just painful these days, but back then it felt like it was Absolutely frantic and frenetic, and well, it's just not anymore. <laughs> it was revolutionary for the time, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, it was doing things that first-person shooters weren't doing, and your modern-day shooters have basically built and improved on what happened with Goldeneye. Goldeneye. So, yeah, yeah. if you go back, it's probably hard to play now, but those memories are still there. I think the um, the closest game that I think has that, um, as you said, like that um, memory, 
what you remember it as rather than being accurate. Um, for GoldenEye, the same team of developers uh, then made uh, the Time Splitters games. I don't know if you've played any of no, those. No. They came out in the PS2 GameCube era, but they're a lot more frantic. They're a lot faster paced, um, a lot more action packed, but built, again, building on the GoldenEye formula, but with more modern control schemes. And that is way more playable today than than GoldenEye is now. Yeah. But um but um, going back to the the arcade machine that you don't remember uh well you do remember but you can't remember um I would highly recommend going to there's these brilliant places called Arcade Club. There's one in Leeds and there's one in um where's the new one? Oh, that's the new one. There's a new one in Leeds and there's one in Manchester as well. And they specialise in I mean it's basically you pay an entry fee and you every machine's on free play. But their speciality is retro cabinets from the eighties mm. and nineties. Mm-hmm. So they have like just shitloads. I'm talking like over over I think one of them's got over three hundred no, that can't be right. But there's a there's a lot, let's say. So you might literally stumble across it if you go there. You never know. Okay. I'll have to keep that keep an eye on that when they eventually open again. <laughs> yes, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Because I, I actually went like the week before um lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> so I was one of the last people to uh stick me greasy mitts all over those cabinets. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, going back to the C64, what were your, what were your go-to games on that? Um, I remember playing a lot on the C64, the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles game, which was in a, a port of the infamous N64. And All right. Yeah, but I was... The NES, you mean? Yes, yeah, the N64, yeah. the NES, <laughs> yeah. Um, I usually get I usually get celebrities' names wrong and then I'm getting computer names wrong. Um, yeah, from the <laughs> NES and... I never really had any that much of issues with it. I never completed it because it was bloody solid, and yeah, it has yeah. some of the most, and it's and the the dam level still haunts me to this day, which is <laughs> like an in, um, infamous level where you're trying to swim and or everywhere is full of this electronic electric uh, seaweed that gets tangled or shocks you and and you're on a time limit to stop a bomb going off and um, but I still I kept on playing it. Um, other games for the C sixty four. I remember playing a few of the ocean games. Um, Operation Wolf was one of them because you had the light gun um, and they had the ocean loading music. And for some strange <laughs> reason, I always got scared when that music would play during the loading screen. Like, for some reason. Like, I always had this vision that someone was walking past a window on the second, on the first floor of a house. But um... <laughs> I was literally listening to... There's a great podcast called um, How Did This Get Played? And... Uh, their episode this week or the week before was um, they they reviewed the ocean uh, game of Waterworld and they were talking about how uh, despite the fact that a lot of ocean games are shite the um, the music always stands out really well. Yeah, because I think the music because it, it always starts because cause it uses the sound chip. I think I think there was a sound chip. Was it on board of the C sixty four? Can't remember. But the sound for the C sixty four there was like a revolutionary tactic they use to try and have more tracks in the midi board and um right. and like so this so like this and podcasts i listen to and we got people programming music and they use cheats to try and get more track to try and cheat and have more tracks yeah. of music sound over each other um like you'd always start with a down 
and then kicks him in the den, and then, and then, and and then, right, and for some reason that always scared me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's move on to question two. Um, what was the most recent game that you've played? Oh, sorry, is that your laptop fan? Yes, it, I know it sounds like someone's vacuuming yeah. in the next room. I apologise. I'm able to remove it all from the edit, but it is very, very loud. I actually, um, doing this Zencaster thing the other day, I actually heard what it sounds like from your end for the first time, and it's horrendous. I apologise. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I was just checking. Um <laughs> So is that literal last game you played or? Well, it's quite an open-ended question, isn't it? So it could either be the most recent, as in the game that released most recently that you've played, or it could be the literally the last game that you played. Well, the, the literally the last game that I played was the Sonic 2 from the Mega Drive Classics on the Switch, as I was, oh, I, just nice. want, I just wanted to sit down in the garden for about half an hour. And so I just put that on. But in terms of sit down and play for properly um there's been a couple particularly during lockdown um so i've been playing uh, at the start i bought city skylines from steam which is like sim city nice yeah management stuff um a lot of the time has been developed has been with final fantasy 7 remake and yes recently very recently the last game i kind of because i completed final fantasy 7 remake about last week um just the end of last week, I've been playing the interactive movie Dark Knights with Poe and Monroe. All right, I've not heard of that one. What's what's that one like? Um, it's a full, it's an FMV game where and yeah. it's a spin off of another game called The Shapeshifting Detective, um, which is another FMV game by Devaki Studios, who was also behind a game series called uh, a game called The uh, Madness of Doctor Decker, um, and. They're quite just slightly different. Um, Poe and Monroe, you're pretty much... Um, it's based in this kind of weird like British town called August where strange things happen and you're playing two radio hosts. Um, right. And it, it is more or less of just like you have these decisions and you've got to click which decision to do. And yeah. there's, like branching, there's like branching narratives and like clo- like open endings. And it's like set a pre- it's a prequel to the previous game. So um, where like... Uh, where you was a shapeshifting detective where you'd interview people over a murder, but you can then shapeshift to different characters and you'd go and interview them and they think and they think you're someone else. Um, and Poe and Monroe were characters from that game and it was quite popular enough to have their own spin-off. And like, it's like six episodes of like six separate stories set as episodes and right. you kind of make decisions based on stuff. It's It's not very playable in terms of a game, but... In terms of story, um, unlike a Telltale game style choice system, I I, I lap that stuff up, so it's quite interesting. So it's quite. So is you know. this a is because FMV games have kind of had a bit of a resurgence because of things like Kickstarter? Is it is it a modern one or is it is it a retro one? Um, it came out I think May the nineteenth. All oh, right, so yeah, as modern as we could be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so nice, um. FMVs again. It's a it's a genre that I never got into because although I've had we had an Apple Mac when I was a kid, um, my dad has never been interested in games at all. And when you, when I was that young, I think a lot of people's gaming comes from you know your dad buys it for himself and then you get to play a bit of it later on. But um, because my dad wasn't bothered about games and only saw it as a 
you know, a, a utility, mm-hmm. this, the computer. My gaming didn't start till quite a bit later. So I missed out on a lot of, especially computer-based stuff in the 90s. I just did not have... I think the only game we actually had was uh, the original Prince of Persia for our Apple Mac. Um, and neither of us could figure out how to play it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been any good with playing anything with a keyboard. <laughs> um. So yeah, next question. What's your favourite single-player gaming experience? It's quite tough. Now, I've been trying to think about this, and it's pr- the probably it's probably stuff to do in terms of reacting to story or or how it goes. And because I'm pretty much a lot of games, I mean, I'm much more attracted to the story. If the story is good, if the characters are good, then I can get around issues I might have with the gameplay, or yeah, or I can probably much, I can, I can then get, or I can cope with unique games and stuff. And quite a lot of games I quite like are kind of unique mechanics anyway. But um, yeah, and I'm trying to think of like. Of moments where that happened, and there's, I think it's more like where like kind of plot revelations kick in and stuff. Where um, um, few couple few years ago, there's a point and click adventure game called Unavowed, and right. Unavowed, which is uh, from the Wadget Eye um, Games Development Company, which is just more or less like one guy who kind of like outsources a lot of his stuff um, of point and click adventure games. And he created um, this kind of like Bioware style point and click adventure where you had like uh, where you was like you could choose to be the male or female or and you and you can have backstories of um, actors or cops or bartender and um, the idea is that the idea is you was you were possessed by a demon who did all these bad things and this this underground. Um, Society called the Unavowed kind of exercises this demon, and you kind of go with them to try and solve this. And you've got, and you can kind of pick characters to go with you, and and you go to different different parts of New York, and you, depending on which characters you've got, they've got different skills, and you can solve these puzzles in different ways, and the interactions are different. So there's a lot of replayability. And about two thirds of the way in, there is a plot development, which kind of turns your understanding of the characters on its head. Cool. And enriches, kind of enriches the player character who's at the moment being like, you know, one of these kind of avatars that doesn't don't yeah, really have yeah. any dialogue or voices or anything. There's like a sudden plot twist and it kind of invests you, it enriches the the mythology. And I don't really want, I don't want to spoil it because it's, it's one of probably one of the better plot twists I've ever heard, seen in gaming for a long, long while. And cool. I don't really want to ruin it. Um, and it's just, I remember clicking, I remember seeing that bit. I'm like, shit, <laughs> what the hell? Because like the way it builds up, it doesn't, it doesn't really spring it on you. You kind of, you, something starts happening and yeah. it changes a bit of the gameplay dynamic. And then when the gameplay of how the gameplay works, and then you're thinking, hang on, hang on, that wasn't doing that before. What's going And like, as you start to figure out what's going on, it kind it kind of causes you to, um, like, like click, and yeah, yeah and it's 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 things like that that kind of um, like resonate with me. So like, and so other examples on that tier is 
that just popped to my head is the the game Gone Home. Um, I don't know if you. Oh yes, yeah, I've played that one. Yeah, yeah, Gone, Gone Home is. I mean, it's on the outlook. It's a very simple story anyway. We we get emotionally yeah. connected, but then it's there are like kind of side stories that you can kind of look into in terms of the backstories of the player characters' parents. Yeah, yeah. And then when you kind of look into that, it kind of expands like this, these these like other characters that aren't really part of the main plot, and it just kind of builds. And you're yeah. thinking, bloody hell. And um, there's another story called Her Story, which was uh, another FMV game. But you're looking into, like, 20-year-old interview footage. And All right. So you're, just, so you're typing keywords and you're looking and you're trying to piece together um, from seven different interviews of the same woman what happened to her. And it's from, like, 94, these videos are. And then I remember playing it, and about 15 minutes in, I, I managed to find a video which, like, kind of... I believe revealed the twist because right. depending on what you type in, that's always happened. I thought, oh, okay, that's very, but oh, okay, that's that's a bit um, pressing that on fifteen minutes into a game. It's supposed to be about a couple of hours, um, <laughs> but yeah. And then, but I thought, I, I thought, okay, you know, I'll stick with it. I'll just fill in the gaps of how this thing happens. And as you, uh, and about another about an hour, an hour, hour and ten minutes in, um, I'm getting, I'm getting a, a bigger picture, and then it kind of the ambiguity of the game and the story kind of starts hitting in and the layers of what's happening fill in and yeah. it's like shit yeah <laughs> that, that kind of like that yeah i think it's the shit moment i should i shall name it from now on where like you suddenly realize what you're playing is a lot more layered and yeah. you're like oh this is amazing and then like you start, you're there for another hour um, and it's like half 11 <laughs> and yeah. you're thinking like, i know i just need to finish this bit so. Well, the the biggest example that I can think of from my gaming experiences would uh, be Bioshock. The the, uh, the twist near the end of that game is is pretty phenomenal, and it, it had that same moment for me of just like shit. I can't believe I've not noticed this, and it, it's one of those things that's been if you've if you've known what to look for, it's been signposted the whole way through the game, mm-hmm. and as soon as you as soon as that plot. Uh, that plot twist uh, drops you just it blows your mind it, uh, have you have you played bioshock before because uh, as that's a very uh, narrative rich kind of uh, experience i've not... played infinite right bioshock mm. infinite i've i've i read about i so read into the first two yeah um and i think i remember i think i remember recall what that twist is but i know it's big but i kind of missed the impact of it yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Once you once you know before you go in, it's it does it does change things. It's like it's like um, I knew the I knew the twist of the sixth sense before I watched it. So. Yeah, Bioshock the the first game. I mean, if you're interested in narrative, yeah, obviously you've had it kind of spoiled. But the the narrative is the strongest in in the first game. But even without the the plot twist, it's it's a game where the world that you're in is very um there's a lot of dynamic uh, organic storytelling in in the scenery and and where you are and things like that so it still has a very like it's one of those games where the the um the location is is almost like a character in the story as much as as the rest of it so yeah i think it it might still be worth going to check out and the the gameplay itself is a, is a little clunky they they make the gameplay a lot more fun in the second one which is actually my favorite but the story isn't as quite as strong in the second but um i would i would highly recommend uh checking out 
the original if you can or the the HD remakes as well I mean there's barely any difference between that and the uh, the original but obviously it's a lot easier to to source these days mm. but yeah and I, I recommend checking that out what's the other plot twist I was just thinking about that yeah the the plot twist in um Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time as a kid when we find out that Sheik isn't quite who we think he is and that he's actually Zelda that's always uh <laughs> as a kid that blew my mind but as an adult it's not quite as effective <laughs> I've never I've never played the because I've never had a a proper well no I say a proper Nintendo system I've had a Wii and the Switch but yeah. I've, I've never been like a kind of like canon uh, Nintendo player I mean I think the first Zelda game I played was uh, Link's Awakening on the Game Boy Color and then right. Breath of the Wild and that was it and um, Super Mario Odyssey is the, like, the first Super Mario game I probably actually owned on a right. console. So I, I kind of miss a lot of the Zelda yeah. stuff. So Ocarina, Ocarina of Time, all I know is what I know secondhand. So, yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's another one where I think maybe the controls of Well, I say they might have improved over time, but to be honest, the controls on that one are pretty pretty slick as well. They they hold up pretty well. It's a game that I come back to a heck a heck of a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we've talked about your favourite single player experience. What was your favourite um, multiplayer experience? I don't have that many because I'm not much of a multiplayer fan, if I'm completely honest. And okay, um, but I do have like many 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 years ago. Uh, in my early twenties. Um, I do remember having like late nights with um, friends of mine where we'd use, where we'd play Burnout, but nice. <laughs> but we were absolutely rubbish at um, racing games. So the bits we focused on were the crash modes. Yeah. So the competition yeah. and the crash modes and stuff. And um, so we we had I can't remember, like evenings lost just racking yeah. up points. In the crash modes of burnouts, and I don't really have any of them real multiplayer stuff. I don't really like multiplayer RPGs, or I'm not much a fan of FIFA. Um, <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the fighting games I used to own, I used to play on my own, used to play um, on my own against the AI anyway. Um, yeah, and it's mainly because I'm quite tight, and I don't really want to pay extra for the privilege of playing online. Um, <laughs> well. It, I've, I've I've always been quite a, a big fan of the Burnout series. I had Burnout One for the GameCube back in the day, um, which doesn't hold up very well because it's uh, it's very much um, still setting up the format that would come later. But yeah, the crash modes are always hilarious and mm-hmm. really really fun to play with friends. Um, there was a brilliant um, uh, uh, downloadable game for the Xbox 360, um, which was just called Burnout Crash. And what that was, it was um, a top-down game. Uh, so it's all 2D graphics, but it was base- it, the same principle as, as the crash mode from other Burnout games. So you would drive into an intersection, and basically it was do as much damage as you possibly could. But they took it to the extreme in that game, so it was really like... Um, all sorts of fantastical things that could happen. And you basically, um, as your meter filled up, your car was able to explode again to cause more damage. And you could even blow up the buildings and stuff like that. Um, and that the 
that was technically a single player experience, but it had online leaderboards, which were brilliant because then you could play against your friends who were all, so you were all separate, but competing to have the highest score. And it used to, I'm not a very competitive player of any games, really. I just play them for fun. But that's one of the very few experiences where I was able to competitively get up those leaderboards. And I used to absolutely love that that game that was fun okay i mean if you if you ever get the chance to play it well i don't know if you can i think the the stores are still open on xbox and stuff i i stand by the xbox 360 as still being a brilliant bit of kit to bring out every now and again but that one was really fun (laughs) (laughs) i think the leaderboards of the actual servers for that particular game are closed so you can't do the leaderboards anymore which is a bit of a pain because obviously that's the most important part of the experience but the game itself is still playable oh cool um okay so that was the t- the big four now we get mm. on to the questions that you've been able to cherry pick for yourself um so we'll start with which game franchise can you just not get enough of this i think this kind of is going to meld into the other question as well yeah um that i've picked and it's the, the question the question kind of suggests every game which is not true because <laughs> some some games in the franchise i don't like and have issues with where others do um so the one that comes comes to mind is the final fantasy series oh okay interesting i thought you were going to go somewhere very different <laughs> where was you, what was you thinking of well from the the um conversations you had with tony on the uh on the back end of our network stuff, you both were going on a lot about the Monkey Island series. Yeah, because I, I, I mentioned that on the um, uh, Don't Say the C Word, which was the my my topic to speak of the Monkey Island yeah. series again. And I'm I'm mass any massive massive fan of um, uh, point and click adventures in general and that kind of stuff. And I I can go on for them for ages. I mean, I think me and Tony have probably talked about doing a podcast based on point-to-click adventures for, like, ages as well. Um, <laughs> it's that kind of thing. But in terms of not getting enough of, and the other question, um, I thought perhaps the majority of the conversation can go with the other massive franchise franchise right. mm-hmm. um, that I quite like, which is also quite an outlier because it's the only kind of... Well, um, the Final Fantasy games are like the only real RPG games that I've really played. I can't, okay. I can't get into any others, um, with perhaps with the exception of like Pokemon or something. But um, yeah, but um, oh, actually, I remember what I remember which multi- another multiplayer story that I wasn't involved in, but watched. Um, All right, to do okay. with Pokemon. Um, <clears throat> if I if you let me to go back, because I love this yeah. story. So I was in year ten, and we. We were coming back from a trip to the from the Imperial War Museum and the HMS Belfast, and this was in right. two thousand and one, I think. And Pokemon Red and Blue just come out, um, and it at that at that time it was taking pretty much any anyone with hormones was addicted. Any kid was addicted to it. It was like the start <laughs> of Pokemon. Yeah, and there was the and everyone figured out the cheats on how to. Uh, Either use my signal, or there was also kind of a, oh yes, there was there was a, there was a flaw that you can do to actually clone Pokemon as well. Right, there. yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember the statistics of it, but during the the swap, if you turned off one of the 
Game Boys. Um, yeah, at the right time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember that. And my one friend, ha- my one friend's younger brother, had somehow managed to get access due to an event that was in Birmingham to a Mew. Ah, right, yeah. Um, so he had Mew on Pokemon Blue, and I pretty much cloned it, to, cloned it for my mate, who then cloned it for a, another friend of mine, and pretty much like every, everyone in school had a Mew now. And yeah. <laughs> what was quite funny is that the one friend who... Um, the one friend, Adam, he, he then decided to go and clone six level 100 Mews. <laughs> And um, decided to then go and fight, go for a Pokemon battle with my friend Ben, who then had his his full level hundreds max, his 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 core team, which yeah. I think had like Charizard, Mew, um, Dragonite, and I can't remember off the top of my head the other ones. And yeah. they had a match, and swear to God, it lasted forty minutes. Wow! <laughs> it was a forty. It was a forty-minute game, and. These Mews were powerful, powerful, and it got to the point where there was both on their last Pokemon each, quite last Pokemon each. Um, my friend managed to do like a hope, like a max potion, I think, on his Dragonite that was left, and um, there was like a hot, super powered kind of Mew left. And my friend did Metronome, Mew self destructed. <laughs> Right, you can hear no, and <laughs> one HP left. <laughs> Shit! And if it, because if Metronome fainted the other one, you'd won if it was your last one. But yeah, because yeah. there was one HP left, my mate Ben won and beat the six Mews. And you could hear it was like no, <laughs> and my god, it was like the, the it was like, but it was like a full on forty minutes this match. Yeah, and like, and I was not involved at all. I was just watching it from my Ben's side of it. But like, well, I was going to say it must have been fun for the spectators trying to cram round these tiny little Game Boy screens in two people's hands. Like, yeah, it's not very much a, co- a spectator a sport normally, is it? Yeah, on a couch <laughs> where you had teachers obviously going, "You sit down, please," and people trying yeah. to look at and stuff. But yeah, and that has always stuck in my memory. I can remember that vividly. Um, well, I um, I was the kid that had the Mew in my school. Um, but that was because I had a, a cheat cartridge that would allow you to catch them. Um, but I was a lot less generous than your mates because <laughs> I uh, I didn't give one to anybody else. Because, well, for one thing, if I give everybody a Mew, then you're no longer the kid that's the only kid with a Mew. Yeah. So I was very uh, I was very savvy with that <laughs> when I was at school. Yeah, but yeah, that was that. That's yeah. It's a multiplayer experience, but. Um... Not one of my. I wasn't playing, but uh, yeah, yeah, a pass, a passive multiplayer. Experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, ha- I had to mention that. I can. Sorry, but uh, yeah, that was good. So going back to uh, Final Fantasy, then, wh- yeah, which ones do you have issues with? The ones I have issues with are um two, just because I'm not a fan of the the system, the the idea in general, um, right? And the one that jumps out is thirteen. Um, f- 11 and 14 are multiplayer so I've never played them whatsoever and I've got no interest in them <laughs> and 13 is one that I've got I really didn't like and 15 I've got a, I've got a love-hate relationship with because they seem to still be working on it about 5 years after it's come out 
I was going to say, uh, that's the most recent one, isn't it? Yeah, I think when the Final Fantasy VII Remake came out, it felt like what what 15 should have played like. Right. Um, well, I'm not a massive fan of uh, RPGs in general, and having been a Nintendo kid uh, from the N64 era onwards, it's some, Final Fantasy is something that I've got a very weird relationship with because I don't... I just haven't played any of the core franchise, to be honest. I bought um, Final Fantasy VII um, to play finally um, when we bought a PS2 a few years ago. But then um, the PS2 memory card we've got won't save anything. So I've played the first hour of Final Fantasy VII about four times because I keep forgetting that the memory card doesn't work. And uh, I've never managed to progress from there. But do do you have a favourite of the series? Um, it's probably a lot more flawed in a lot of areas, but I've always got a soft spot and my go-to answer is always eight. And I think that might be because of the story and the characters, even though I do hear that a lot, um, that if you're into your stories that eight has the best. Yeah. Even though there are massive, massive plot holes. And when you think about it, it doesn't make sense most of the time, but then you can you could argue that with all of them, um, yeah. particularly seven. Um, but I don't know. There's just something about the mythology and the characters and like the general love story um, around Final Fantasy VIII as its core. That yeah. kind of like just kind of clicks, and there are like there are moments of it which kind of works. And there's a, there's an intro, there's a there's a not a twist, but a revelation in it that isn't actually spelt out in the game, and I only randomly found out on the internet about 15 years after playing it, and it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of twisted the whole thing as well, but um, but yeah, eight, eight's my favourite, purely because I, the, the world is interesting, the lore's interesting, I really I really want them to kind of do some focus on, it, on that, like they do with Seven, because there's so much untapped potential with the story and the lore yeah. of yeah. Eight that really deserves to have its own kind of spin-off games rather than just having the ability to play as Zack again in Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. So. My, fa- my favourite Final Fantasy game is called Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles My Life as a King and I'm about one of about five people that have ever played it. Um, and it I'd, Have you even heard of it? Crystal Chronicles rings a bell but I don't know whether there's I don't know whether that's because there might be different games for the Crystal Chronicles. Yeah, it's got quite a lot of spin-offs now. Um, it started as, uh, and I did have the original as well, on the GameCube. And you'd love it because it is a four-player multiplayer um, Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> With basically no plot to it. It's pretty light on the plot. It's um, it's kind of a bit of a dungeon crawler light in that you just sort of go around and shoot things with your beams and shit. So it... it but it has its own kind of the 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 Crystal Chronicles series. The main sort of plot thread is that the world is filled with this miasma that you can't that sort of poisonous. Mm-hmm. But you have these crystals that stop the miasma, and you can kind of use the crystals to make safe spaces and stuff. And that was used in this other one, My Life as a King. But it was basically yeah. um, RPG Manager. you you it's called my life as a king because you play the king and basically your job is to stay at home whilst you send out all your adventurers to do your role playing on your behalf and it's it's a very stupid game 
it's very like it wants to be like as i say like a football manager game crossed with a sim city but incredibly simplified mm-hmm. and it came out as a downloadable game on the wii but it was i for some reason there's something about it that i really enjoy it's very it's the kind of game you can just turn your brain off and play but it has again plot wise the the plot is completely you know it's paper thin it's written on a napkin mm. that was found mm. under a table somewhere and um the, the the most unsatisfying thing is that because because you're not the one doing the adventuring even that kind of grand final boss at the end happens off screen so the game literally just ends with nothing happening <laughs> which is very it's it sounds shit but for some reason this game i actually quite enjoy so okay but it's annoying because as is the case with modern games these days because it was a a downloadable game on the wii shop which is now closed you have absolutely no way of playing it and when I knew, because we we'd sold my old Wii years ago, and I've always missed being able to play this game. But we had a Wii U, which is backwards compatible. And when cursed, when we found out that they were closing the Wii shop, I bought another Wii so that I could buy the game on the Wii, then from there transport it from the Wii onto my Wii U so that I would have a copy. <laughs> so I'm one of the very few people that probably in the world that has it on a Wii U. <laughs> no, I'd say, I'd say I've not played the Crystal Chronicles that much, but because I think the idea that the work, the idea of worlds being controlled by crystals is a common thread from like quite a lot of the Final Fantasy genres. Because ah, it? Right. I mean, they are they are pretty much anthologies yeah. all the way through, but particularly for the first six and. For the first six, and then a couple, depending on who's direct, who's the game director. Yeah. Um, there's always like the idea that there's like four crystals or some crystals that control the the evil or or kind of like the nature of life in, in death and stuff. Um, yeah. So like, I think the Crystal Chronicles is just another way of them building that other law around this idea of crystals. Yeah. So, um, well, the but... function of the crystal in Crystal Chronicles was like basically because, as, because the world was polluted. Say you had a, t- a team of four adventurers, um, at all times, one of you has to be carrying the crystal rather than fighting because you're <clears throat> creating the uh, small amount of space where everybody is safe. Um, but obviously, that's not a very interesting thing from a gameplay perspective because it literally means between you at all times one person is not playing the game um and it also means that obviously from a practical side of things it keeps all four players in the same space without everybody running off on their own and and getting lost but at the same time it's just a fiddly uh, mechanic that does mm. it's very annoying and obviously with four players it's not as bad because you can you can chop and change between you who's holding it but um the other the other problem with the game is um the original on the gamecube you require each player requires a game boy advance plugged into their gamecube to use as their controller because all of your stats and everything is on the game boy screen but then that means that as well as having the game you also, every single player needs to have their own Game Boy Advance and their own um, 
cable to plug it into the GameCube. So I never ever had four people that I could do that with because I only had one cable. And so I think once I managed to get two people, uh, one other person round that had a cable and a Game Boy Advance. But then when there's only two of you, that means there's only one other person to carry that crystal. So each of you at best are only playing 50% of the game. Saying like a weird. Yes. <laughs> the 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 decisions on some of the creative, well, the creative decisions and the decision to actually go down that really kind of confused me at some time, some points. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there and are games that really showed off that mechanic of using the Game Boy Advance screen um, to bring out new gameplay. But this game was not one of them. It, <laughs> it could easily have worked with you just using a controller, which was very frustrating. But Nintendo are always doing stupid gimmicks like that. But I, I believe the original Crystal Chronicles is now being ported to the Switch um, later this year. So... Once you've got rid of all of that finicky peripheral-based nonsense, um, because obviously the Switch has a really big player base already, potentially it could be a bit easier to play, but whether or not it would be any more fun, I don't know. <laughs> okay. We'll have to test it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's the the spin-offs. I'm not too much a fan of the majority of the spin-offs of the Final Fantasy games. It's more the core series that I'm a fan of. Yeah. So, a a lot the spin-offs usually particularly are like if the kind of spin-offs of like the, the core like i think uh, red revan and wings for Final fantasy 12 that turned yeah. to like a a weird real-time strategy strategy slash terror defense game which i which really annoyed me very quickly and <laughs> really annoyed that i spent 30, 35 quid on it so. Well, obviously, speaking of spin-offs and things, all the Final Fantasy games tend to have some decent uh, mini-games in them. Um, yeah. Do you have a favourite mini-game from a from a Final Fantasy, from the franchise? Um, I'm a massive, massive lover of the Triple Triad card game from Final Fantasy VIII. Right. Um, which is, like, if you... If you go to the majority of the non-player characters and press the square button, you can then like challenge them to a card game. Where oh, nice. and the idea is, so you got a three by three grid, and you've got um, these cards with like four numbers on the on the corners. It's it's probably based off an actual game or something. And the idea being is that you put a card down, and if that card's higher, you it flips from blue to purple or blue to pink. And then if you've got more cards in your colour then depending on the rules you can then take a card one or some or all of your opponent's cards and and like you something like and then you'd have like certain cards that can only win off characters so you'd have some of the characters of cards of the characters and they're usually the higher end cards with really strong high stats Um, you'd probably steal some from the summons you can collect um, and then Etc. Etc. But then the only, but the annoying thing is that there's a character called the Queen of Cards who appears throughout the game world, and each of the different regions have their own rules. Right. So like you'd have some that are like elementals. So like if you so one card could be fire, and if you had a card that was water, it would increase the stats that were on the card. So like if you so if it was on a fire, you'd have you could use it 
you could use a water one to try and get an advantage. And then you'd also have the random rule, which is the biggest pile of crap ever. Because <laughs> if, if you got to a certain point where you had a high amount of cards with a, quite a few higher end cards, the random rule meant you could have cards cards from all over so like if you had the cards at the start of the game where you have like ones and like three corners and you're trying to win a character card of someone and it'd just be the case that (laughs) when that happens you might have like one or two decent cards but then the other cards will make you lose and then if you lose then that character the npc can take your cards (laughs) so you'd be in a case we'd be trying to win these cards and you'd be losing them to someone who keeps using all their good cards and but it's still very addictive it's still very addictive and um has some of the and and the music that plays is called um, I think Shake and Boogie and I'm not really one I'm not really one for video game soundtracks but the Final Fantasy 8 soundtrack I love and that music is just great and it's like dun 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 dun, dun and it turns into it's like a jazzy kind of like a jazzy jaunty tune and stuff and never get tired of it there was a the Final Fantasy app that appeared on the phones and you download the app and in that was a version of Triple Triad and right. to say that I ended up spending quite a bit of time on just on that app, app playing that game um, just because it had Triple Triad on it. Um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, so we've got to our final question today. Um, which game have you put the most hours into or replayed the most? It's either going to be Final Fantasy VIII or Final Fantasy X. Right. Um, I've got a feeling it might be X, purely because I know of at least two occasions on playthroughs where I've clocked over 120 hours on each. Holy, holy moly. On each. Um, and that's on two separate occasions, playthroughs. And I've, play, and I've had instances where I've tried to play it a few times from scratch. Final Fantasy VIII, I know I've played through a couple of times on the PS on the PS One, I've definitely, I've definitely played it through on Steam when I bought it on Steam, and I have, re- I also, I've also got the remaster on the Switch, but I haven't played that as much. Um, right. I'm still on where in the old game would be this two, so uh, I think ten, I think ten might be the one I've played the most in terms of hours played. Yeah. So, I'm not but... much of a completist when it comes to games, especially with sort of narrative-based things. I don't. I'm not too fussed about doing side content as such. So, a game that can take someone, as you say, over a hundred hours. Often, I'll have done them in fifty because I've, I'm no nonsense. And if 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 someone says that something needs doing plot-wise, I, I go straight and do it, and then I move on to the next thing. <laughs> that's that's me generally in most games. Anyway, I mean. Um... It got to the point in Final Fantasy VII Remake where um, there was like, oh yeah, you can do all this, this, and this. And I'm like, because it, it's, it's obviously trying to pad out yeah. the story um, because it's only set in like the first, in the, pretty much in, in, compar- in comparison to the original game, uh, the remake covers the prologue um, yeah. <laughs> of the original game. Um, and like, I was like, ah, no, I can't be asked um, finding cats for kids. I'm just going to, I'm going to, Continue with the story that I'm being really obsessed with, um, but and I've never, I've never 100 completed um, a Final Fantasy game. Um, there is just so much stuff. Final Fantasy 10, like I got very close, I got very, very close, but then I kind of like fizzled out 
because um, like there's a lot of grinding that needs to be done to get to a certain point. And right. It, it it can kind of test your patience, particularly when particularly when I ended up doing quite I managed to do quite a lot in terms of boosting characters up to max stats. And yeah. then when you're grinding just to do certain things, it doesn't really it doesn't really do much. And the drawback with perhaps from the Final Fantasy games is that when you get to a certain point where you're taking on optional super bosses, and I don't think I've actually ever completed and beaten any of the super bosses. Right. In any of the Final Fantasy games, because it just takes too much work. Um, once you've beaten them, the rewards you get for it, you've got no other thing to bite them with. Right. Yeah. So, like, that's, yeah. Um, so, I'm, in terms of like trying to 100% max, I've never really done it. I think I've only ever, to my knowledge, ever 100%ed one game, and that was Spyro 2. Right. But, um, <laughs> but old school. Yeah. And that, the only reason I know that is because I. Because it had 100%. Um, I think for, actually, GTA 5 on the PS4, I got 99 point something, and that's because I just can't be asked to try and find all these jumps you have to do. But uh, <laughs> but Final Fantasy 10 definitely is probably in terms of hours played. Cool. Mm-hmm. Right. So we've come to an end. Thank you very much for joining us, Matt. It's been great. No, it's been great. It's been great to chat to you. I, I, I do quite like gaming. <laughs> yeah, I kind of got that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you've been very uh, very succinct with your answers. We've managed to keep it under an hour. Waffle-free tonight. <laughs> no, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, because Matt has done a few episodes. We've done ve- we've had various conversations on various topics since we've uh, been on the network together, haven't we? And, uh, yeah. There was, uh, there was one particularly waffle- waffle-full recording of... Uh, a review of Muppets Treasure Island where I had to be rather brutal, but not tonight. Yeah. Um, so where can people find you online? You can find me um, on your usual places, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, under Pick a Disc, um, where you can follow my podcast called Pick a Disc, which is, which is pretty handy because that's the name of the social handles, and <laughs> um, which is about me interviewing people about albums they want to talk about for whatever reason um everyone keeps picking stuff they like which is interesting but um yeah and so yeah so you can follow me on well, all those under pick a disc um the podcast is on pretty much anywhere that has podcast downloading abilities so um yeah you can find me there brilliant and thanks again matt it's fine um, and the socials for this show, which I'm not used to saying out loud because we're still new. Um, what are they? I can't remember. It's uh, we're on Twitter and we're on Instagram, and it's the same for both. It is at We Played This Pod, and you can find me on Twitter as well. My Twitter handle is at TimballsRH. Thanks again, Matt. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Played this is part of the We Made This Network. Logo by Carl Bryan. Music by Dave S. Walker, aka Kyoto Dragon. Previously on the We Made This Network. 
Don't say the C word. The Spawn soundtrack. Apparently there was a, there was a, a massive bust up between the Sneaker Pimps and Marilyn Manson. Because... There was. Because they were supposed to, like, do this track together. And essentially Marilyn Manson was like, fuck that. And just use them as backing singers. And they got the ump. Basically, yeah, there's, there's, there's two different versions. Um, it's uh, Long Hard Road Out of Hell. That's right. the track. And I think there were two different... It was either taken off later on, or there were two different mixes of it. And uh, Sneaker Pimps weren't happy with the original mix. Um, but yeah, I remember reading about this in, in Kerrang! loads at the time, because there was a lot of hype building up to when that album came out. It was a superb album. It was very special. Yeah. Observing the Pattern, a Fringe podcast. It, it yeah. is a, it's one of those things I, I quite like seeing little moments like that. Because I, I work in IT, yeah, I, yeah. I don't have moments like that at work, ever. <laughs> Other than you, you might have missed that. Exactly. It's now destroyed the system. It's, it's rarely um, life-threatening when, when I do that. No, but, but, um, yeah. but, but again, it's also a case that is an old case. It's a case that they've kind of failed to crack. You know, yeah. They've, they've had... The Movie Palace. Um, let's distract ourselves then by talking about uh, Rear Window, this great film. Um, let's start with personal history of the film. I understand this is a film you've seen many, many times. Is that correct? That's correct. You know, it may tie with It's a Wonderful Life for the film I've seen the most times. I haven't actually kept count, but yeah. I, I grew up watching it, Rear Window over and over and over on VHS that I had recorded, you know, from the TV, <laughs> my crappy yeah. VHS. So yeah, this is a definitely a personal favorite. I just find, I just I, I think to me it's a perfect movie. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network.